calling el santo blue demon y mil máscaras. Los, Los campeones, campeones del justicio. Okay, I'm going to see if I can get this right. The name of the song is Los Campeones del Justicio. It's from the band The Ghastly Ones. It's on their album, A Haunting We Will Go-Go. You can find out more about The Ghastly Ones at their website, ghastlyones.com, or you can follow the link in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net. That's the website for this podcast, Monster Kid Radio. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, writer-producer Derek M. Cook. I really enjoy that song, and not just because, okay, actually a big part of it is because it invokes the names of Santo, Blue Demon, and Mil Mascaris, who are three of my favorite monster fighters. I'll come back to that at the end of the show. Well, these three cats, as well as a whole bunch of others, appeared in a number of Lucha Hero monster movies in Mexico, and we're going to be talking about that with this week's guest, Keith J. Rainville. He is the man behind the website From Parts Unknown. You can find that at From Parts Unknown. Net, or again, link in the show notes. Keith sat down with me and we started talking about Mexican horror and Mexican monster movies in the first part of this conversation, which was a couple of days ago. We heard about that. We continued our conversation, though, to really talk more about the Lucha Heroes. And Keith gives us a rundown on some movies that he would recommend to people who are maybe not as familiar with these Lucha Hero movies. I was taking notes during the conversation. There are some titles that he brings up that I've never seen, and I now have a bunch of movies that I'm trying to add to my to-watch list. Strike that. They're on my must-watch list. So we're going to get to Keith from, from Parts Unknown. And you know what? Why don't we go ahead and dive into that right after this. Eternal punishment for anyone who opens this casket. The mummy. Is it dead or alive? Human or inhuman? You'll know. You'll see. You'll feel the awful, creeping, crawling terror that stands your hair on end and brings a scream to your lips. There's nothing on earth like the mummy. You will not remember what I show you now, and yet I shall awaken memories of love and crime and death. Now I know his horrible plan. He is going to kill her and make her a living mummy like himself. Hey 
comic book fans, I'm Joe Stuber, producer and host of Comic Book Central, where each and every week I welcome a legendary talent to the Comic Book Central lair to talk about bringing comic books to life. Greetings, true believers. This is Stan Lee. When do you think the Academy is going to wise up and create a special Oscar category for best cameo? I don't know. They're just asleep on their feet. Maybe your show, maybe this interview will be the turning point. She is Erin Gray. Erin, welcome to the show. I ended up being a contract player making, I think it was $600 a week. Gil was doing great. He was making the big bucks. You got the posters, though. You got <laughs> yes. the posters. Come I on. look better in white spandex. What can I say? Hey, this is Michael Rosenbaum. Lex Luthor from Smallville. Make sure you listen to this guy's show. Sounds like a good guy. People should listen to you, Joe. Catch the very latest episodes at the website, comicbookcentral.net. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, like it on Facebook, follow it on Twitter, and be sure to join me each and every week for Comic Book Central. This is Dean Kane, Superman from Lois and Clark, and you're listening to Comic Book... Comic Book... Comic Book Central where comic books come to life. Excelsior. Larry! From the exotic geisha houses of Tokyo, to the back alleys of the Ginza Strip comes the terrifying news of a fiendish creature that threatens to destroy all who stand in his way. This is the frightening story of an American reporter in Tokyo who unwittingly became the victim of a shocking scientific experiment that turned him into a horrible mutant. Half man, half monster. The Manster! He got away. I think I know where he's going, to Taurus. Follow me. Right. There's panic in the streets as the unheard of terror of a half-man, half-monster runs wild through the city. There he goes! Don't miss The Manster, a genuine thriller in the most frightening sense of the word. the monster design in a lot of these movies so i mean they're familiar because they took some inspiration from like you said universal or the aip that yeah. sort of thing but yeah. then you know they add their own twist either because they couldn't afford to do it the way they, <laughs> we did it up here or you know they bring their own cultural um, myths and stories into the mix and they just turn into these amazing monster designs weird mutations of creatures yeah. you know the frankenstein monster with a goatee yeah. And a mustache. How do you not love that? How does any Frankenstein completist not own, you know, an image of that at least, or at least a lobby card or something? And right. there's a movie, Agra Sanchez made a movie called uh, El Charo de los Calaveras. It's actually three or four little short serial reels that were cut into one movie. Okay. And it's this Zorro-like giant sombrero, pistol and machete-wielding kind of um, Zorro-type hero. But he fights, in one of the shorts, he fights a pretty good werewolf 
pretty creepy, weird, long-haired werewolf. The second one is a um, headless horseman. And the head is in a box in a church, and the body has a sword, and it's riding around, like, killing people in these farm fields. And the third one is a vampire, but he's got a bat head. Instead of a you know handsome guy head, he's just <laughs> a bat head. Okay. And then he gets into the, he gets into the same fist fight with each of these monsters. You know, it comes down to the same really bad fist fight. And then I think there's a fourth chapter, or it might be the framing chapters that have like this really kind of goofy undead zombie kind of farmhand guy that a mother is trying to protect him, even though she knows he's killing people. When you don't know, like when I first saw it, I didn't realize it was like a bunch of Republic serial kind of shorts. And I just thought, like, what is this? It's so incoherent. It is so weird how it's cut together and how it just, the guy's costume keeps changing. And then the rubber mask they use for the headless horseman, it's like inflated on an air bladder to make it talk. They didn't have the wherewithal to just put a guy's head in a box and then just shoot from above him so you can have a real head speaking. They actually Uh tried to animate a mask with air pumps. Why would you do that? Why would you make that hard? Any TV sitcom or comedy show knows how to do a head-in-the-box gag. Pee-wee's Playhouse had a head-in-the-box gag. Like, they could figure this out and you couldn't by making this movie? Like, huh? You're just like, it's another one of those. It's right there with Ship of Monsters where you're just slapping your head. Like, why would you do that? That one has great creatures, too. And then the Brainiac really is the best, most original Mexican creature. It's not an answer to any other. Like, the Aztec mummy is an answer to the mummy. It's an answer to the Karloff. And the Brainiac really is, there's no equivalent out there. There's really, he's alien-like, but then he's wearing 18th century garb and sucking brains and eating them with a spoon and <laughs> and it's really there's no one else has a brainiac it's kind of like the manster there's no other creature like the manster there's, there's a couple of creatures from the black and white era that are really just like wow mm-hmm. like there's no equivalent out there for this thing at all oh, the brainiac is definitely unique and that's a really good one too I mean not for the same reason ship of monsters is but it's <laughs> no no but it's very accessible it's, oh it, yeah it's, it's in English, or uh, Casa Negra did that killer Spanish mm-hmm. disc. So you can see it in multiple formats. It's very accessible. The Commander USA's Groovy Movies, and it was on, I think Elvira did it. That, that's one of the ones that, if you haven't seen it, that's your lack of effort. That's not the obscurity of the product. <laughs> it's certainly out there, and super, super fun. Mm-hmm. Now, we've been talking about a lot of Mexican horror movies, and we've talked a little bit about Santo and Mascaras. Can we talk about the Luchador films? Yeah, absolutely. I always recommend two movies to okay. anyone who has... And I think most people are aware of this genre. They just maybe haven't dived in and watched a whole movie. But there are two movies that capture and encapsulate. If you had to put two of them in a space capsule and send them out to another culture and put two of them in a time capsule, these are the two I would do. Um, <laughs> and scare the hell out of future generations, okay? <laughs> yes, yes. As a warning to not invade Earth, what we do with our free time. And you don't want to, yeah, you don't want to mess with us. Uh, we mentioned this movie earlier, Samson versus the Vampire Women, or Santo contra Las Mujeres Vampiras, mm-hmm. 1962. Here's the thing with Mexican, with lucha films definitely, and with Mexican horror in general to a lesser degree, is there's really two different eras based on black and white and color. 
Okay. It's not a cut and dry border, but it's pretty distinct that when they hit color, they get schlockier. Color was not the friend of a lot of these films as far as like the makeup and effects and the rough edges that could be hidden by black and white were now really exposed in color. And by the time they get to color, the, the industry is different in Mexico where different grants and government programs are putting less money in to this TV and now hit. In general, your color films are just not as good, are not as proficient, are not as moody and atmospheric. So I'm going to pick one movie from each of those eras. Okay. Vampire Women is probably the Citizen Kane of Mexican masked wrestler or lucha hero movies. Okay. It's really like kind of the one. It's got every trope of the genre in there, and it's fully established with Santo as a superhero. Santo as a superhero is not a product of the films. It's really a product of the Jose G. Cruz comic books, which start in 1951. And by the time this movie came out in 62, those Santo books were selling upwards of five to six million copies a month. Wow. Yeah, they were outselling Spider-Man in the U.S. They were outselling Batman anywhere. They were pushing manga numbers. Wow. Which if you know anything about, yeah, I mean, those numbers are crazy because it's a cultural institution, so they're not, you know, realistic. But the other thing going on in the Santo thing is that in Mexican newsstands going all the way back, and they still do this today, you can sell your red books back to the newsstand for half credit of the new issue. Oh. So every issue of a Santo comic had three to four owners, and each of those owners is in a family that's a big nuclear family, often with the grandparents living in the same house. So there are scholars have estimated that there could be 12 to 18 readers per issue, per physical issue. So if you're printing 6 million books, and let's just say there's 12 readers per book, you can literally say that everyone is reading Santo. And that Santo book was huge, and it's really unique, too, because the art process used is called uh, photomontage. Mm-hmm. They actually brought Santo into a studio and photographed him in full ring gear and cape in a bunch of poses. And then they would cut those out and collage him on top of painted art and photographed art. And then they would paint in speech bubbles and effects lines and explosions and laser guns and that kind of thing. So really, these were the first Lucha Hero movies were in printed form. They looked like movies. They were in sepia-toned, photographic, kind of realist stuff. Then he could be underwater fighting an octopus with a machete, or he could be on Mars in a space helmet. He would be in a space helmet with no shirt, which was the best. Like he would just he would need to breathe but nothing else. So he'd be like shirtless with a space helmet fighting Martians on the moon. Nice. He had a jet pack and he could fly the jet pack and then land on his motorcycle <laughs> and just like keep going. Stuff you could never do in a movie. Stuff that would be hard to do today in a movie. Yeah. You know, and uh, he would fight dinosaurs. Any movie that Jose G. Cruz saw from the US would show up as a Santo. There's an incredible shrinking man arc where he gets shrunk down to tiny size and has to fight his way out of a castle. There's a haunted suit of armor. He fights the four horsemen of the apocalypse. He he fought everything and everyone in those books, and they were huge. So 
by the 60s, when Santo is finally starting to make movies, he makes a few that are really kind of just crime-based. But then they hit this magic formula of Santo, who's like a law-vested branch of law enforcement, who is a proto-BPRD. If there's a vampire killing people, you call Santo. If there's a werewolf, you call Santo. You know, it's, <laughs> it, it became quickly a trope of yeah. Santo's who you call when there's a weirdo or there's some kind of deformed killer or a Martian or whatever. You know, you get the mass wrestlers because so they can handle this stuff better, obviously, because they have capes. Sure. So <laughs> it's a great, moody, black-and-white atmospheric film. Lorena Velasquez and Ophelia Montesco are just gorgeous. They are right up there with any of the Hammer vampire babes. They're just incredible. And there's some great wrestling in this. When you hired a Santo to be... In your movie, you also got Santos' friends, who were all other wrestlers. This vampire queen has henchmen, and the henchmen are all wrestlers. They're all built, you know, they're all huge, sure. you know, muscly dudes, and they just run out in the lawn and fight Santo and have these mini miniature wrestling matches there. This movie in particular really set up, this Santo versus the zombies in this film really set up the system of padding your movie with ring footage. And at the time, it was sort of a way to get out of shooting a lot of stuff, and it was a cheap thing to do where you wanted to see Santo in a match just to establish his character, except they did, did the whole match. So you have like a 10, 15-minute ring break from the action where Santo's in the ring fighting. And at the time, these may have frustrated people because it's like, hey, I can see this on TV, whatever, whatever. You know, it's like some people look at that as padding. Non-wrestling fans look at it as padding. But really what it is, because Lucha Libre's history is not as well-preserved as you'd want it to be, videotape does not last. Videotape in Mexico City does not last. And a lot of the TV industry lost its archives in the 1993 earthquake in Mexico City. So a lot of old Lucha Libre footage is gone. And at the time, it would have been shot on film, and who knows how well that was preserved. So... What these movies have become is a time capsule of 60s Lucha. For the sports fans, that's great. Santo vs. the Zombies has footage from the Santo Black Shadow unmasking match, which is probably the most historically significant match in Mexican history. It's a huge, huge chapter in Lucha Libre lore. And the only film of it is in that movie, the movies become this great time capsule of Santo, Blue Demon, Mil Mascaris, all these guys at their peaks. And sometimes the matches are staged, sometimes it's just there was an event and they were running cameras. So you get this great capture of Santo's ring style and his moves. So that's probably your best introductory. And once again, there's a K. Gordon Murray dub of it, so you can see it in English, you can see it in Spanish with subtitles. In another format, it's very accessible, it's out there. The second movie you have to see is Santo and Blue Demon versus the Monsters. Oh, uh, yeah. That's the one with the Frankenstein that you're doing. <laughs> it, it's the one with everybody. It's, it, oh, man. The thing is, if you're a Universal Monsters completist uh -huh. and you don't own this film, you're not a Universal Monsters completist because it should be called Copyright Violation, the movie. <laughs> it's, really, it's really the non-union Mexican equivalent of every Universal Monster fights Santo and Blue Demon. 
with, with a few extras thrown in, like that Cyclops. A few extras thrown in, yeah. You know. Well, the Cyclops is the creature. Is he supposed to be the creature analog? Okay. Yeah, and I think what it is is they were going to build a creature suit. And there's actually a Mexican creature from one of the comedy movies. I think it's called The Mansion of Monsters or The House of Monsters. Had all these universal monster knockoffs oh, in that's it. that's right. And they, yeah, and, they, and, and they, he's running around from room to room. Yeah. They did a really bad creature. Mm-hmm. And it's just creature pajamas, really. It's like a bodysuit with a yeah. mask. And it's it's awful. Evidently, they couldn't get that. So if they want to do a creature knockoff, and just to fill people in on the plot, there's a mad scientist. He's really just out to, like, destroy the Earth and and just be evil and mean and kill Santos. He invents this ring that can control monsters, and he gives it to... He captures local wrestling legend Blue Demon and makes a clone of Blue Demon because... There was a Blue Demon clone in like 30 movies. It was just a thing to do. Blue Demon and never he, caught a break that way, did he? he no, he was just getting, getting cloned all the time. Yeah. Controlled or something? Yeah. yeah, with no royalties. Yeah, he was, yeah. He was kind of mad. <laughs> so the Blue Demon clone, he sends him out into the world with his dwarf sidekick and a bunch of green-skinned zombie henchmen who are all wrestlers. And you know, he sends them out to get every monster of lore and make them my private army. So... Evidently, all these monsters are kind of really close to Mexico City, which who knew? So they get the Frankenstein monster, they get the local wolf man who looks like a really kind of creepy, pervy, homeless dude. But <laughs> I love the wolf man in that. He's really scary, I think. They get this mummy who looks like a geriatric who can barely move. They get the creature who is a cyclopean reptile that is actually a reuse of Ook the Cyclops from Ship of Monsters. They reuse one of the suits, another suit from Ship of Monsters, the Saucer Men knockoff. He's just in the lab for no apparent reason. Mm-hmm. And they get a vampire <laughs> in a top hat who looks like London After Midnight kind of thing. You know, it, I don't know where they're getting that vampire. And then he's got some vampire babes that he makes right away. So they end up with this army of monsters. And what this army of monsters does is they just wander out into the countryside and kill people. And then they start just to attack Santo wherever he is. They attack him in the ring. They attack him at the club at night when he's watching musical numbers and having a drink with a date. They just keep attacking Santo. And it's like, you think Santo would have some kind of notion of public security where I just better not leave the house for the next couple of weeks. But no, he keeps going out and attracting these monster attacks. And it's just this delirious slap fest for an hour and a half of these monsters attacking and retreating and attacking and retreating. At one point, their attack goes wrong, and they drive off in a car. And the Frankenstein monster is driving the car, the getaway car. I've shown that movie in theaters here in Hollywood, and people have just lost their shit. When they see the Frankenstein monster driving the getaway car, and all the other monsters are piled in the back. It's really <laughs> schlocky, it's really goofy, but it is so requisite if you love that classic horror period because it's so brazen in its appropriation of these characters and just how it uses them is so strange and so off. I love the music in that. The music is this really weird kind of miniature jazz band TV orchestra doing this kind of almost free-form improv score. So, yeah, there's a, lot of good, there's a lot of good stuff going for it. A company called Hanover House put this out on DVD like 10 years ago with really great artwork from an artist named Dr. Jorge Alderet, 
Uh, he's a really good illustrator, and it's a first-rate DVD. So if you can find that, it's been subtitled, and it goes super cheap on eBay. So Santo y Blue Demon contra los Monstruos. That and Mujeres Vampiras, if you need just to start with two, if you watch both these movies and you still you didn't like either of them, then you can just go home at this point. You know, you're good. <laughs> Mexican cinema is not for you, and that's not a bad thing. That's fine. No, that's fine. You, know, you, you did your coursework. You there decided, you, you know. Yeah. More for us. <laughs> Personal faves of mine. Uh-huh. I love the first three Neutron movies that Federico Curiel made with Wolf Ravinsky in 1960. Oh. So you have Neutron versus Dr. Carante, Neutron the Black Mask, Neutron versus the Death Robots. These were all dubbed in English at one point, not by K. Gordon Murray, by some other company that no one really knows the origin of where those came from. These are unique in the genre because Neutron actually has a nemesis who's another masked man. And just like Batman and the Joker, or just like Captain America and Red Skull, he's got an actual villain who is a recurring anti-version of him. And the neat thing is, is he's this white mask doctor, this mad scientist, in a combination of wrestling gear and lab coat and, like, chemistry lab wear. Okay. And I love his costume. He has this great gothic castle hideout, this army of zombies, kind of zombie creations and with weird, messed-up mush faces and neutron Neutrono and Mascarado Negro. He's not really a wrestler, per se. They show him training. There's wrestling gyms, but there's never a match. So he's sort of a half-wrestler, half-republic serial kind of hero. And this was, in the 50s in particular, this was pretty common. There was a series of four or five movies with La Sombra Vengadora, who was just a straight-out superhero, but he was in wrestling gear because that's what they had. You know, and that, that that was very easy superhero gear to, to adopt. Those are great. I've never even heard of those. So, listen, this really is the real fun. reason and why I wanted Keith on the show, so that he could just tell me some more movies to, for me to track down. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, N-E-T-R-O-N, Neutron. And they're really super fun. They have this really rousing kind of score. The Neutron films in particular embody this quality of Mexican cinema that I love in that they're timeless-seeming. Meaning, if you didn't know the production date, you kind of couldn't place it. I don't want to just blanket say that Mexico was 10 years behind the times and all their fashions and right. and whatnot. They weren't. But for some reason, these films, a lot of these films of the period, especially the early 60s, late 50s, there were guys there in 40s, double-breasted, wide-collar, big shoulder-padded suits. There are cars from the 40s. There are cars from the 60s. There's fashions and interior decoration from the 60s and the 50s and the 40s. And so you're watching these movies, you can't figure out what decade it is. There's just an oldness to it. There's a 30-year span of what you see on screen as far as fashion and, and, and aesthetic. And these movies in particular, you, you really can't figure out when they're made. They feel very Republic serial, these very like late 40s, rock'em sock'em, sort of crimey, Tune in next week for the further adventures of yada yada. Okay. You know, that they really feel like that, but then there's space age jazz soundtracks. You, you kind of scratching your head as to when they're from, and I, I love that about these. And Wolf Ravinsky was a great performer. He was really trained in 
both as a classical actor and as a stuntman. Those three films are just superb, those first three Neutron movies. And they're out on DVDs that are not subtitled. The English dubs are getting more and more obscure. They're harder and harder to find. I only have them on VHS. So these are a little bit of a challenge to find, but well, well worth it. Two other great movies that I think are just necessary are Blue Demon versus The Shadow of the Bat, La Sombra Murcielago. Easily the best wrestling movie of the entire genre. Oh. It's one of the few that the wrestling is actually critical and central to the plot. Oh, okay. It's a really standard Phantom of the Opera knockoff. But instead of being an opera singer, he was a pro wrestling champion. So, for, for, so yeah, yeah, it, it's awesome. It's, it's, so Blue Demon is your hero. And Blue Demon was a cool figure because, especially for Americans, we're so anti-hero oriented that Blue Demon is sort of the Batman to Santo Superman. Yeah. He's the darker, shadier, rougher, that's a good more blue-collar. He has a charm to him that's very rough and... He's simpler and just more caveman-like, I think. And he's really just in these movies as hired muscle. He's just like, hey, we can't fight that werewolf. You go do it. <laughs> and he, he didn't have that religious connotation that Santo does. So I think a lot of us are just more comfortable with Blue Demon as kind of a more accessible anti-hero. Mm-hmm. But what I love about this movie is that his villain, played by Fernando Osis, Osis was as instrumental to this genre as anybody. He was a screenwriter, an actor, a stuntman, fully lucha trained. He wrote half of these movies too. And whenever he's the villain in one of these movies, he's just a thousand percent in. He's completely over the top in all his roles. So he plays this wrestler who was scarred in an accident and now lives in this subterranean cave under the arena. And he plays a giant pipe organ. I don't know why he would have learned that pipe organ, but he's got it. And, you know, he keeps trying to, like, kidnap women and kill other wrestlers. And he and Blue Demon eventually have this really epic fight in the catacombs, these caves underneath the arena. Wow. And it's just, it's just literally you can just take notes. If you are training in Lucha Libre, you sit there with a notebook. It's just Lucha Libre 101. It's superb. So as far as like a wrestling fans movie, Shadow of the Bat, that's the one you get. It sounds amazing. <laughs> it's great. It's really fun. It's really fun. Another great one is La Mujer Murcielago, The Batwoman, which is uh, a later movie, 1968, stars Mora Monti, who was just a bombshell of Mexican cinema. And this is a straight-up Batman TV show knock except that it's, it's female, it's a female hero, mm-hmm. and somehow she is much better off fighting crime in a bikini than she would be in a full bodysuit or any kind of protective gears. She's in these go-go boots, a bikini, and a bat mask, and a bat cape. If you just take the Adam West Batman TV show and make it a hot chick in a bikini, that's what this movie is. I don't know. If you don't love that, there's something wrong with you. So (laughs) the other great thing about Batwoman is the creature is one of the best in Mexican cinema. It's a mad scientist out on a boat who, for some reason, just wants to make this goldfish monster. Uh He's literally a goldfish version of the creature from the Black Lagoon, but it's bigger. 
sign me up. It's orange. It's orange and red and gold. And it walks around, and the poor SOB who's in this suit can't see anything, you know. And it's just, the suit is so good. It's a fantastic suit. Yeah, there's nothing not to love in this movie. It's got good music, got a couple of car chases. She's a knockout. This is the movie that should be in any Creature from the Black Lagoon book as an asterisk of, oh, and there's this other knockoff where it's, for some reason, it's a goldfish. And that just came out on DVD, too. I don't think the subtitles, but again, you don't need it. There's no language barrier here. It almost helps. <laughs> so that's great. And then, of course, I recommend all the mid-'70s Agra Sanchez Momia movies. Oh, yeah. Especially Mansion of the Seven Mummies. That's what I. That's on my list. I want to track that one down. My personal favorite. Really? If you, it is my personal favorite of all those. If you're a fan of Burial Ground. Wow. I believe it's Spanish, right? Was Burial Ground Spanish or Italian? Or uh, a mix of both? I think I it's a mix remember. of both, actually, yeah. yeah. Shot in Spain, but <laughs> Italian crew, whatever. Um, but if you're a fan of Burial Ground, imagine those zombies, but then submerging them in a swamp and having them pop up out of swamp water and attack women, that's what this movie is. Absolutely horrific masks they made, which are way ahead of their time as far as like this hideous, rotting, messed up face gore factor. And then this just crazy plot where this woman has to like overcome seven curses to free the souls of her ancestors and... There's a goofy old witch, and there's a ghost of a guy from the colonial era who's like a conquistador, and there's this talking skull that looks like it was made out of chewing gum that you pasted together in a big ball. It, it's really nuts, and there's three mass wrestlers in there, this turkey bastard in there for no reason, who are helping her out with her curse, and... They've got some tragically bad fashion going on. It's fantastic. That one's really fun. All of the Agra Sanchez Mummy movies are available on really cheap DVDs. Some have been subtitled, some haven't. The first Mummy is a Guanajuato movie is great and really fun. That has oh, yeah. been subtitled. Yeah. We're fortunate because last year a local theater here did three months where they brought in a Santa movie a month. And they oh, cool. did The Mummies of Guanajuato. They did Versus the Monsters. And then they did The Santo Versus the Invasion from Mars. That one's really good. That yeah. one had a killer, killer, killer DVD. Yeah. No, and it was great. It was like a pre-Plan 9, Plan 9, but with Santo. Yeah. Great. Oh, yeah. And Wolf Ravinsky, the star of the Neutron movies, is the head alien in that movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's a big Hercules-looking dude. Yeah, he's really square-jawed. That's a great film. And it just got this killer DVD out of nowhere by some company that never did anything again. It's too bad because anyone who puts in effort on these Mexican DVDs it just doesn't pay off. It doesn't sell. I mean, they lose their shirts. It's so frustrating because these movies are pretty great, and they, they make these killer DVDs, and they just don't sell. They just can't find an audience. That's a shame. I, it's a shame, and I don't know the answer. I've been asked that as, as a consultant legitimately. How do we sell this? I don't know. The Latino in the U.S. audience wants it in Spanish. And as soon as they see an English anglicized title... They're not going to trust it, so you lose that audience. But then you gain this American horror audience, this essentially white, long-haired, fat guy in a black T-shirt audience that we know and love, and you know the chiller theater crowd, the Monster Palooza crowd. You can gain some of them, mm -hmm. but they can be pretty jaded too, and 
pretty dismissive of the of the stuff. So it's not an overwhelming number, and I don't know the answer. I don't know. No one did it better than Casanegra, and they couldn't make it work on the business models. I was disappointed a few years ago. There was a crowdfunded effort to get another Mill Massacres movie done, and then that never yeah. never happened, which is, I mean, he's still with us. Unfortunately, Blue Demon and yeah. Santos no longer with us. Their kids are out there doing stuff. But uh, Mill Mascaris yeah. in 2007 did the Aztec Mummy movie and then Academy of yeah. Doom in 2008. What are your thoughts on those two films? I love that they exist. Yeah, That is my overwhelming thought is that someone tried it. And again, it's someone way distant. It's not a guy in Tijuana. It's not a guy in San Diego. It's not a guy in San Antonio. It was a guy in Columbia, Missouri. Yeah. I love that. I love the reach these movies have had. I had to order my copy of Academy of Doom from the college bookstore. The bookstore, the college yeah. bookstore. <laughs> They're the only ones who can sell it. I got the same thing. Yeah. It's so weird. I mean, it's it's Neil Moskras and Richard Lynch. And what... Huh? You know, it's it's so I I love the fact that it exists, and you know, yeah, I would probably have done things a little differently. I'd have been a little more rougher around the edges with my stuff and more fights, and I mm-hmm. I would have used Neil Mascaris as sort of the mentor of a new young team of guys, oh, there you go. or 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 girls, or for that matter, you know, whatever. Um, where he's like the Van Helsing, but his foot soldiers are the young, because you know you want your wrestlers young big buff shirtless guys you know you don't want this veteran kind of guy who's never going to be in in the full ring gear and stuff but i just loved that it was it was no mascaris and it was he was wearing some great outfits in that i liked the mummy suit a lot i thought it was really cool it looked great it looked fantastic yeah i just i don't know who they were going to try to sell that to and as much as there is a following for Mil Mascaris in the wrestling fan base in the U.S., I'm not sure that translates to horror movies. None of the Mil Mascaris movies were ever dubbed in English. And if anyone had a built-in audience, especially in the 70s, for those movies to jump ship and to have a new life in the U.S., it was him. And But it didn't happen. So... Did they know something we don't? Did they know, like, wrestling fans don't like movies? I mean, I ran into that a little bit of that when I was doing the magazine, where I covered Lucha Libre, the ring sport, and Lucha Hero movies in about a 55-45 ratio. I was always a little more movie-based, but they were hand-in-hand. And I'd get the ring guys wanting more ring stuff, and the movie guys not wanting that wrestling crap. It's like, I can't keep you all happy. But it's all awesome. Why, why don't you see this? When the real-life Tiger Mask wrestler is fighting a guy in a Mexican bone suit, it's a sporting event, it's a ring match, whatever. That's a monster movie happening in front of you. It's a mm-hmm. live monster movie. I don't split those hairs. I don't put those into different categories. I just love watching that. That's just awesome. That's just awesome all day. But... You know, those those fan bases can be mutually exclusive. So who knows? Part of why I publish is, you know, part of why anyone publishes, whether it's a website or a book or a podcast or whatever, is that you love this stuff and you don't get why the rest of the world doesn't. So clearly they just haven't heard about it yet, and as soon as you expose them to it, they'll be as big a fan as you are. And you have to have that as your central motivator, even though it's not entirely true, even though it's not a realistic thing. You have to have that kind of Jacques Cousteau missionary sort of effort where Mm -hmm. I will show people the the wonders of the sea, and then they will know, and they will love the sea as much as I do. And it's like, (laughs) you know, it's like that. 
I will show you people what these Lucha movies are, and you'll get it finally, right? And you'll be as big a fan as me, and we'll all buy them and keep keep this whole industry going, mm-hmm. right? You have to have that confidence. And if you get 1% of the people you expose this stuff to actually take a look, then you've done great. If nothing else, i got a couple hundred people reading about Mexican zombie movies, and I made a dent in that obscurity. So it, everything helps. Yep. Every effort, every podcast. I love that you're doing this. Sure, definitely. No, I mean, I love this stuff. I've been asked before, why do I podcast? I think you nailed it earlier when we were talking. It's a matter of just finding something that I love so much and talking about it and hopefully sharing that love with other people, finding my tribe or converting more people to my tribe. You know, that's yep. that's yep. really what this is about. And I think you came up with some really good recommendations for some of these Lucha Hero films. Uh, I'm I a big fan so. of Blue Demon, so anything with Blue Demon I'm going to watch. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's my guy. And Mil Maskers I like quite a bit, too. But the yep. Santo films are also fantastic. All the movies you mentioned sound great. There's a lot out there. There's, there's yeah. hundreds. and. There's finally a good book from Mexico on this genre. It's called um, Quiero Ver Sangre, The Illustrated History of Luchador Cinema. And I wish they would do this book in English. I wish there was an English version of this book. It's probably a rights nightmare to do, but it's literally a year-by-year census of all the lucha movies. Oh, wow. And what's weird is some are missing, which is unforgivable, like in an encyclopedia kind of book. You know, yeah. it's like... You don't want missing movies, but coolest thing of this book for me, flipping through it, I can sort of read some Spanish. My Spanish is wretchedly bad, but I use that as sort of a, look, if I can watch these movies, anyone can, you know, kind of thing. (laughs) Don't let the language barrier be a problem to you because I'm not bilingual in any sense that I would admit. So I'm like poking through this. It's, It's profusely photo illustrated, so, you know, you don't need to read Spanish to enjoy it, but... I'm going through this, and it, it's neat because the Lucha Hero genre dies in the late 70s. But there are once-in-a-while films after that that came out. So they keep going, and they keep going, and they're going into the 2000s. And there was a movie last year. Wow, they're still... Like, this thing isn't totally dead. It's like the Western. It's not totally dead. And I love the fact that now it's retro cool, and now you can sort of make these movies and lean on the fact that this is part of the heritage now. Mm-hmm. And then right in the end of this book, when you hit the 2000s, there's this little write-up on Los Campeones de la Lucha Libre, which is an animated movie that I wrote. Oh, really? <laughs> and it's like, my movie's in there. Holy crap. You know, I almost fell out of my chair when I saw it. The creative team who made Mucha Lucha for American uh, TV for Saturday morning cartoons, uh-huh. they got a film deal from a producer in Mexico after that show was done. And they had carte blanche. They just said, we want a movie. We want you guys to make us a movie. Just do what you want. They asked me if I'd write something out, and I had never written anything movie-wise. And I think that's why they wanted me. They wanted like this kind of like non-traditional, non-structured, sort of raw, but full of all these Mexican ideas. And we ended up making this weird movie, this weird little animated movie that sort of found no home, called Los Campeones de la Lucha Libre. And it's got just about every Mexican monster in there and tons of luchadors and it looks like that Mucha Lucha animated style. It opened in 300 Mexican theaters which in Mexico that's like a that's a big run. You know, that's not a Sure. There are not thousands of screens there like there are here. Opened the same weekend as Beverly Hills Chihuahua and it killed us. It killed, it's like everyone saw that instead of us and we opened number seven with a bullet. It's like, oh, oh wow. Oh, thanks, Beverly Hills Chihuahua. You killed us. 
you just can't win for trying sometimes, you know. And it got released on American DVD, but they couldn't use the music. So they replaced it with canned music, and it's full frame, and it's it's just crap. So there's no good way to see that movie, which praying my own movie gets pirated to YouTube at some point. So you can see it with, you know. <laughs> because it, it's like one DVD is in Spanish, but it's widescreen. And then one DVD is in English, but it's full frame, and they didn't use the music. So there's no good way to see it. It was great for me to give back to that genre a little bit, but it, it at the same time, it's like, I feel their pain. I feel the pain of these guys. You have this movie out there that no one's seen. That's an endless, endlessly frustrating thing for me, but, you know, hey, that's why we champion this stuff, right? Well, where can people find you online? <laughs> I am all, all over the place online, uh, from partsunknown.com. I'm on Facebook and Twitter with all those. I'm also the publisher of a site called VintageNinja.net. I didn't know if you wanted to bring that up. I always do. All I right. love that. I hope to do some kind of book on that material in oh, the next wow. year. Okay. So, uh, those guys, the people who made those, the women who men and women who made those, they're all up in their 60s, and you know, and the, the directors are in their 70s and stuff. I've got to strike while I can and get the interviews and the information I need. So um, I'm sort of dedicating myself to that right now and talking to some of these performers while they're still with us. That's where I'll be. Right on. But I switch dials. I mean, my Twitter and uh, Tumblr feeds are called Lucha versus Ninja, who will win? <laughs> and that's my life. It's like my kitchen is all Lucha stuff and my office is all Ninja stuff. And... It's, it's, I need clones. I need evil blue demon clones, but of me. <laughs> For decades, they have battled the forces of darkness and protected the lives of the innocent. They are the legends of Mexican wrestling. Oh, I can't wrestle something so cute. <laughs> Whatever. For these are the muscles of justice! But now, a new kind of enemy is rising. Mama! And a son will have to fill his father's tights? In my day, all we needed was trunks, boots, and chest hair. I... But to lead the world's most elite fighting force, he'll need a unique mask, lots of muscle, a big heart, spine-tingling moves, and a little attitude. Hey, enough talking! Someone hit my music! Hundreds of bad guys. Arriba los extremos! Arriba los extremos! This is gonna be ugly. One big no holds barred adventure. Los campeones de la lucha libre. Call the police. Call the army. Call the superheroes! They come from the bowels of hell. A transformed race of walking dead. Zombies guided by a master plan for complete domination of the Earth. Plan 9 from outer space.
starring the most nightmarish cast ever, Bella Lugosi, the seductive vampire, and Ford Johnson as the walking dead. Turn off your electrode gun! No! No! Stop him, Dennis! I can't get it, it's Jeff! Stop him, you fool! Bullets bounce off their bodies. Rockets, missiles, jets cannot stop their death ship. What earthly power can stop this terror? For a glimpse of things to come, see this blast of screen suspense. For it could be happening right now. You can get your hands on copies of his magazine, From Parts Unknown. Well, you'll be in for a treat. Go to his website, frompartsunknown.net, and you can buy some of the issues that he still has in stock. Some of them are out of print, unfortunately, and I'm missing a couple of issues myself. I think I need issue number two and number seven, so I'm always looking on eBay for those. Also, highly recommend just exploring his website. He blogs quite a bit. He talks about his upcoming appearances, and he even mentioned, I believe, that he was nominated for a Rondo Award, as he was the designer of the book Outer Limits at 50, which is nominated in the best book category over the Rondo Award. So not only is he a Rondo Award nominee, he's on a Rondo Award-nominated podcast right here at Monster Kid Radio. Go to rondoaward.com to learn all about the Rondos or look at the archives at monsterkidradio.net to check out uh, an abbreviated ballot. You can see all the people who have appeared on Monster Kid Radio who happen to be on the Rondo Award ballot this year. While you're at monsterkidradio.net, you're going to find everything else you need to know about the podcast between episodes, like links to our Facebook group, where there is a poll going right now, a question that I posed to the group, asking you to pick your top two favorite monster fighters. And yeah, I made sure Santo, Blue Demon, and Mil Muscaros are on the list. I'm talking pre-1968 monster films, so really trying to stick to that classic era. And yeah, Peter Cushing's Van Helsing is in the lead. Big surprise. We also have links to our live 365 internet radio station where you can listen to music and trailers from monster movies 24-7, courtesy of Live 365. You can find links to every band and every song that's appeared here on the show in the past, like the Ghastly One song that opened the show. There's a link to our Amazon store where you can pick up books and DVDs, and when you buy them through Amazon through this link, we get like a penny or two. We also have a Patreon page, and it's being restructured, but if you want to become a patron of Monster Kid Radio and help us out financially, well, that's how you do it. Big thanks to everybody who's been a patron of Monster Kid Radio over the years. Stay tuned for an update about our Patreon page here soon. Our contact information is also on our website. If you'd like to comment on anything that you've heard in this episode of Monster Kid Radio or the previous 185, email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail at 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. I do have one voicemail that came in from a repeated guests of Monster Kid Radio, and we'll be addressing that in a feedback episode down the line. So if you want to get your voice in the mix, well, that's how you do it. I want to thank everybody for listening. And again, big thanks to Keith for making this week happen. I'm going to put the invite out to him again, get him back on the show, and maybe we'll dive into like just a specific movie and really pick it apart. The Brainiac might be one, maybe one of the other Lucha films, or you know, I need to get around to watching those Neutron films. They sound amazing again thank you keith thank you boys and girls and monster kids of all ages for listening and supporting monster kid radio and next week on monster kid radio scott morris from disney indiana and my compadre over at the 1951 down place hammer films podcast is returning to monster kid radio for a new feature something that we're doing a little different here on monster kid radio in 2015 we're calling it a double feature 
we're going to talk about two movies. One of them is a universal movie with John Agar. I'm just going to leave that hanging. That's the tease. So come back for John Agar, me, and Scott Morris next week. In the meantime, remember... Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Los Campeones del Justicio. That belongs to the Ghastly Ones. It's from their album, A Haunting We Will Go-Go. You can find out more about them over at ghastlyones.com. You can also buy the album through Amazon. Talk to everybody next week. Calling El Santo Blue Demon y Mil Máscaras. Los, Los campeones, campeones del justicio. Del justicio.